for you. Well, as they said, we are continuing our conversation, our series uh, called Pillow Talk, or Romance in the Kingdom of God. You know, Pillow Talk, it's the sort of stuff, uh, the subject of, of many things. Uh, um, but the things we're talking about over the course of this eight weeks is the sort of stuff that like many of you, I imagine, I know for myself at times in my life, have laid in bed, head on the pillow, just going, Lord, please. <laughs> Help, turn his heart towards me. Turn her heart towards me. Lord, let me be free of this. Oh, Lord, will I ever? It's also the sort of conversations we have, uh, you know, back in the day when you had sleepovers and it'd be like, well, did you hear Jimmy likes what? You know, did that, that happen at mine? <laughs> Just mine? <laughs> uh, that, yeah. Jalen knows. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's also the conversations that one now as a married man and, and the conversations, but also just the reality of uh, now being married, having children and it being like, okay, the kids are in bed and now we can sit and lay down and the two of us, that's where so much processing happens. That's where so much life happens. That's where so much of our relationship happens is actually laying their heads on our pillows and navigating and talking and processing and connecting and appreciating and praying and and pillow talk, that's our subject to the, the romance in the kingdom of God. And tonight, uh, well, our topic is a little bit racy, a little bit racy, because you can't talk about romance in the kingdom of God without talking about sex and the kingdom of God. Uh, wow, okay. Feeling good? I'm feeling good now. Uh, well, we're going to look at two passages to start. We're going to be Matthew 19. Uh, it'll be up on the screens, but 19 verses 4 through 6. This is Jesus, um, and he's responding to a specific question, but um, his response here, I, I, there's an important thing that I really want to point out. He says this. He says that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. What God has joined together, let no one separate. I just want to point out there and bring to your attention the exclusivity of that. The uniqueness and the exclusivity of what God has brought together in that one flesh, when that happens, there. That should never be separated. That should never be rend. Jesus, of course, is he's quoting uh, Genesis 2. When we read in Genesis 2, this is Adam after a woman has been made from him, out from his flesh, his rib bone. He says this, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Now listen to verse 25. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They were both naked and they felt no shame. Guys, verse 25, this is my hope for you. This is my prayer for you. This is the prayer for my, I have for my children. Here's Adam and his wife and they were naked together and they both felt no shame. They had no shame. They were exposed. 
They were vulnerable. And yet in the presence of one another and God with nothing hidden, everything laid bare, there was no shame. They were unashamed. I pray that would be your testimony. That you would stand before God and perhaps one day a spouse and be utterly exposed, heart, soul, body, mind, all of it totally exposed and have no shame. Have only beauty and joy and freedom. We're opening this conversation about sex here in church because this, the no shame, is what God intends for us to know and enjoy. And yet there are so many things in this world cutting in on us, hampering us, hindering or downright hijacking what God created is good. Sex is causing immense fear, anxiety, and shame before God and others, and all sorts of dysfunction and damage. Man, it'd be foolish, it'd be unloving if, we, if, if I didn't speak clearly and directly about it. In preparing for tonight, um, there are so many things could talk about. Like this subject is like so huge, right? Um, it's good. With the, if you have questions, if there's more that's missed, which there's going to be a lot missed tonight, like write a question down and, and we can take time and try and respond to it in the podcast, but also come talk, ask questions. But in preparing, there were so many things and, and I sat in my backyard and I was just like, Lord, like, what do I, what do I share? Like, there's so much floating around. How does this all organize itself and become fruitful? Lord, what should I share? What, what do you want me to share with them? And God, in his kind way, as we see with his son so often, he just asked me a simple question. He just said, Brian, what have I taught you? Don't share with them something external to yourself. Share yourself with them. So that's what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to outline for you my story as it relates to sex and then share what I wish I had known what I've learned thus far along the way. So my story starts in church, really. Uh, I grew up in church uh, from a little kid. My family was very involved. And so that's where I was. And, and for the most part, the message I heard as far as God's intent and his kingdom and his purpose for sex, uh, the refrain I heard is sex is for marriage. So wait till marriage. And that's really good advice. That's really good teaching. It's good teaching. Sex is for marriage, so wait till marriage. And the conversation kind of ended there. Uh, there wasn't much detail. There certainly wasn't anything else explicit. And, and so that was the extent of my conversation that I had experienced growing up, for the most part, related to uh, sex within the kingdom of God and what God intends for it and all the good that it could be. It's just basically... Sex is for marriage. So I wasn't having this conversation really. And yet the conversation was being had around me a million times a day. A million times a day. From billboards to commercials to song lyrics to movies to my peers and the things they would reveal and talk about. I was and I still am and you are inundated by this stuff this conversation about sex and sexuality. And it was forming me. It is forming me. 
And this whole journey that I'm going to share, really, uh, the way I can summarize it is, is that it was me recognizing, it is me recognizing what was formed in me, and then moving toward God and him transforming me in this area of sex and sexuality. So to communicate this, I kind of laid it out like a chart. Um, and um, I think for me, there's three main categories of my story as it relates to sex. And, and they are this, it's pornography, masturbation, and relationship. Pornography, masturbation, and relationship. Now, these are the categories that are part of my story. Your story might have nothing to do with pornography. Maybe it's sexual orientation. Maybe masturbation isn't a thing in your life, and you're like, I don't know, uh, that's weird. I don't know. I don't know how you might respond, but maybe trauma is a thing for you. Maybe there's m way more categories than that. But for me, this is mine. And for me, starting early on in life, uh, this is where I was. When it came to pornography, it was ignorance, just ignorance. It wasn't something anyone had talked to me about. I had no idea what to do with it. And yet I was exposed to it in late elementary school. That was the first time I had seen it and was uh, made aware that pornography had existed. And, I, and I, I had no category to put it in because it was not something that was shared with me. It was not something I was prepared for, especially how does this fit into the world as God created it? And so all I had to go on was my pure ignorance. I'm like, okay, this is like fun. This is exciting. And I feel like I should hide it. That's kind of all I had. As far as masturbation went, again, ignorance. Just ignorance. It became a thing for me. I don't remember where or when, maybe middle school or something. I'm not sure. But I didn't really hear anything about it anywhere, really. And then relationship, I had this. <laughs> don't have sex until you're married. I had that, got that on lock. It was good. My first girlfriend was in eighth grade, and that was also my first kiss. And uh, she introduced me to these things, and she had had previous boyfriends and was like, here, Brian. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And all I really had to go on was, well, it's not sex. That was what I had to work with. Later on, high school, as it came to pornography, I realized, okay, this isn't good, but why? You know, I started to see the scriptures. I was in Bible study, small groups in high school. And at Matthew 5, 28, even if a man looks at a woman lustfully, he has committed adultery with her in his heart. I'm like, oh, okay, this is not good. This is contrary to God's intention and what God desires for us. But, but how? But, but Why? I, I didn't see a, a, an evil outcome. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't rationalize it in my brain. Uh, I didn't understand how it was not good or not aligned with the Lord. I have this draw, but you say it's bad, but how? Masturbation, again, continued in ignorance. I heard about it. The conversation started to happen, but it was pretty much entirely in jest and like in joking and uh with peers and stuff at high school. It'd be like at school, people would talk about things or they made jokes or whatnot. So it, was in, it wasn't a healthy conversation. That's for sure. And then in relationship, what really came to form in high school was, okay, don't have sex. And wow, I'm more ignorant than I thought about what that actually means. 
you know, I, I had other girlfriends and then also was just exposed to more. And so I'm like, okay, I had this before. I was like, yeah, don't have sex before marriage. And now I'm like, what is sex? <laughs> like what defines sex? Where is the line? Okay, well, maybe that's not sex, but that also seems like maybe that's pretty close. Like, I'm not sure. And I started to recognize that I'm like, this is a little messier than I thought. Coming into my uh, post high school after graduating, what came clear was that, okay, pornography, this gets in the way of the good. God started to truly capture my heart. That's where I actually put my faith in him and started to walk in him, in him and pursue God. And, and I saw, okay, this clearly is sin. That's very clearly sin. And sin gets between me and God. And I don't want that because it's robbing me of the good. And God is all the good. And I want that. And so the extent of it for me was that this gets in the way of the good. And that was specifically that this gets in the way of me and God. And that seemed to be the only place that it was a hindrance. Masturbation continued in ignorance. And relationship, um, I saw don't have sex in ignorance. (laughs) It kind of was that same place. But what did start to form was, okay, what I do want to do, though, is I want to honor. I want to honor. How do I honor this woman? How do I honor myself? How do I honor my future spouse, whether it's her or not? How do I honor her future spouse, whether I'm it or not? I knew I wanted to do that, but I still was wrestling and figuring out, but what does that even look like and mean? Come into my mid-20s and it became even more clear, this is worth fighting. <laughs> Pornography is so worth fighting. Like James 1, 13 and 18, go read it sometime. It convicted me and made it very clear, like, wow, this isn't just something that's like external to me. This is my own heart that's been corrupted. And I started to see how it was impacting the way I viewed others, the way I viewed myself. And I was like, this is bad. I don't want this. Not just because it gets between me and God, like this is doing things to me. Things that are not becoming, and not the sort of man I want to be. Not the way I want to view this world. So I fought and I fought hard, continued in the same in the middle category, then moved to relationships. And uh, again, through more experience and more observations of people around me, started to see clearly that, okay, man, this can be really wounding when this isn't done right. When God isn't, isn't, isn't respected in what he calls, he's calling this out because this, there's, He wants the best for us. And man, this is causing a lot of harm in people's lives. It's caused a lot of harm in mine. I've I've caused a lot of harm in other people's lives. Like, oh man, this is bad. What became really clear to me too was I was so thankful. So thankful for those boundaries I had held even in ignorance. So grateful for them. I started to have more conversations with friends uh, and people to wrestle around this with and and figure it out. Then in my late 20s, I got married when I was 29. So uh, mid 20s was kind of when I met my wife and we started dating. And a lot of these things were all, a lot, they're all still at play, right? We navigated that stuff and thank the Lord we got married. 
And in the early years of marriage, this is what came clear for me is that pornography is deeply painful to my wife, deeply painful. And if this is to not be something in my life, if my heart is to truly be transformed and be free of this desire even, which was what I had hoped, I thought before that, well, when I get married, oh, it'll be so nice to be free from this. But what I realized was that this was something within my own heart, not my circumstances that needed to change. Masturbation, it became a little bit clearer. I actually had someone to talk about it with. (laughs) And it was very clear that it's a cheap alternative with a lot less reward. And that relates to the second category that I was learning that is in the relational realm. And, And that's that sex is not an isolated act, but intertwined with the whole, the whole of us. It's not just an act, a physical act. It is the whole person is involved and exposed and encountered and necessary for it to be what it can be and all that it should be, that God wants it to be, especially within this context, this vow of forever. There, there, it's not just, well, she looks good tonight. It's not just that. It's her whole heart draws me in. How the day went, how we operated, what we see in one another, how we respond to each other, the way we care for one another. It's the, the whole life, the whole relationship comes together and, and sex is just one component of it. And it flourishes in the whole in the whole person, the whole relationship. And that leads to, I put the past five years, but I was just like, I don't know, since the early years of marriage. <laughs> like, just, we've been married, we're in our 10th year of marriage. And so, yeah, it's good. It's good. Learning so much and excited for what's ahead. Pornography, what has become clear in, in the years since the early years of our marriage is that this is an immense threat. An immense threat to love sober-mindedness and thriving. My thriving, my wife's thriving, my kids thriving, your thriving, everyone's. This is an immense threat. It's destructive, it's corruptive, and it's not isolated to those past moments, that single moment in time. It's not isolated to that, nor is it isolated to just you as a person. It spills out, it impacts more. And I also have learned and become clear that it can be a past thing and not a present thing, nor a future thing. That there's freedom, that there's transformation, that there's a renewing of heart and desire. With masturbation, I've landed in this place that I feel deeply convicted about, that it is dishonorable and unhealthy and deeply selfish. That relationship is the only arena of sexuality that is truly good. And a healthy sexual identity is a relational identity. And as it comes to relationship in our marriage, I've seen and known that sex is a feature and not the substance, a component of the ever-expanding oneness of marriage as God designed it. That incredible mystery of two becoming one is not just something that happens physically. It's a component of it, but that's not the whole of it. It is something so much bigger, broader, wider, mysterious. 
And it's, it's taken years in marriage for me to truly see that mystery and to see the wild goodness of God's faithfulness to my wife and to the vows I made to my wife and she made to me, that he's been even more faithful to our vows than we were to one another. And a part of that is him working to make us one in the whole, the, in the wholeness of that. And I am so eager and excited and curious about what that'll look like another 10 years from now, another 20 years from now. It's marvelous. And, and sex is just one part of it. It's a feature of it. It's not the whole of it. So that's my story. That's an overview of it, how it gets kind of broken down and kind of what I've learned along the way. And I encourage you to maybe process and do the same thing to recognize what has been formed in you, why and how, and also I hope and pray to see where God's hand has been at work in transforming and redeeming. It's taken me years. I'm 39 now. That's a long story. And I hope in sharing some more things about what I've learned along that way, that it'll save you the years that it's taken me. So some things to share with you. Um, based on what I've learned. I've broken it into a couple categories, uh, when dating, when married, and when single. And we'll start with when dating. And this is specific to sex and specific to sex in the kingdom of God. First thing, tip one, have a clear vision. Have a clear vision for what this thing is all about in the context of dating. And I'll just give you this one. I think honor is a key, key component. Honor God, honor the other, honor their future spouse, honor your future spouse, honor yourself, honor their parents. <laughs> like I heard someone say one time, if you wouldn't tell her dad you did it with her, don't do it. <laughs> Think about that. Honor, honor. At the heart of it, love seeks to give while lust is out to get. Love means giving what the other person needs, what is best for them, not just what is best for you and meets your desires. Honor them. Honor them. Have a clear vision about this. The second thing here is pacing and balance. Pacing and balance. And to kind of explain what I mean here, I have a drawing for you. So this is a stool. And uh, this is your relationship, your dating relationship. My buddy Kyle and I, when uh, actually when I was dating my wife, and we were like, how does all this work? Um, and my buddy Kyle was like, oh, it's like a stool. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then we worked through it, and I'm like, oh, this is helpful for me. So maybe it's helpful for you. And again, this is a flawed analogy, so don't hang your hat on it, but hopefully it helps give you, give you a visual. So if a stool, this is your relationship, and a stool, or like this table, will have multiple legs. In this case, four. Now, in reality, I think there's more than four. And actually, as time goes on, I think more get added, like children. <laughs> That's a big one. That's a whole other leg that goes into the dynamic of this relationship. But for this case, we'll say there's a spiritual, a sexual, emotional, and a philosophical leg, maybe like a cognitive, how you relate mentally. Um, and all four of those, for that stool to be stable, um, they've all got to be level and balanced, right? They've all got to be the same length. Now, what happens is over time, 
Patience, my friends, patience in relationship. Over time, those legs will grow. And in a healthy dating relationship, they will grow evenly. They will grow evenly. Though they'll stay in balance. Of course, what would happen if they didn't grow evenly? It'd look like this. (laughs) Now, how useful is that stool? Not so useful. How stable is that stool? Not very stable. What we often, what I've often seen and observed is, is how, and I've experienced, is how often that sexual leg is really easy to get that one grown real fast and feel like, wow, this, like, we know each other so well. Maybe she's the one I'll marry. And then only to realize, I don't even know her. <laughs> We've been dating three months and all we do is watch movies, eat food, and then make out. What makes her tick? What are her fears? What is she worried about in life? You know, I want to also call out another very common thing is that it's actually the emotional leg that gets shooting way out there. You might be dating three months and you're like, man, I'm marrying them. (laughs) I want to marry them. I hope to marry them. Oh, please let them be the one. And your heart emotionally has, that leg is just shooted way out there and you've committed emotionally in your heart to them way beyond where the relationship is actually at way beyond where you actually know and connect with them and the commitment that you should have. You've emotionally committed to your, the, yourself to them way beyond the reality of what should be. And so it's so important for all four legs to grow evenly and together. It helps keep a check and balance. It helps keep things stable. And it actually helps you not think you're further along in maturity in the relationship than you actually are. When things get all skewed, it's really hard to assess when that it's all tilted like that. It's hard to assess like, how mature is this relationship? How stable is this? Where is this going? It's really hard to tell. But when they're all balanced, it's, and it's not probably going to grow perfectly, but like, it's much easier to assess and kind of evaluate and see like, where are we? And to have that discussion, where are we? Where are we? How are things going? How much further do we have to go before we know? Are there anything between here and then that Seems like it might be an issue. It's much easier to have that conversation. Well, the stool will continue to grow, and eventually you'll get to a place where the legs can't really grow any further without it becoming completely destabilized. Where the legs might splinter and fall apart, and nobody could put any real weight on it unless you actually put that brace around there, which is the covenant of marriage, the covenant of forever, the commitment. And that is so strong, my friends. When even the word divorce is nothing that ever comes up in conversation because I know the vow I made. I won't even bring that word up, not even in joking, because I made the vow forever and I'm going to keep it. The security that that provides is remarkable. The security of that vow is so powerful and so important. And it puts you in that place where you can be exposed completely and wholly and have no fear and have no shame because there isn't the risk of being abandoned, even though you've been so exposed, whether that's physical, emotional, spiritual, that bond is necessary for it to grow any further. So, 
I imagine what you're asking is the question that Kyle and I really wrestled with when we were like, yeah, this seems to make sense. And then we're like, so what does it look like for the sexual leg to grow? <laughs> is there like a flow chart? You know, <laughs> like, well, you sit close together during a movie and then you put your arm around her and then you hold hands and then you kiss and then you open mouth kiss. And then, <laughs> you know, like, is there a flow chart? I'm just going to say no. There's not a flow chart. Sorry. If you're like, please, like, I'm not going to give you one. <laughs> not going to give you one. But here's what I will give you. And again, this is what I think is practical and I think it's useful and I hope it is for you. Four principles that I believe are practical in seeing that leg grow in a healthy way, in a God-oriented way, in the context of dating, which is its own unique thing, which we're going to talk more about next week, about why we even date. Um, Four principles. The first one is, is this, that growth in this area has a, a lot more to do with communication than physical actions. Has a lot more to do with communication than physical actions. You know, the, the growth of that leg might be as you mature in the fullness of that, you reveal more about your past, your past trauma, your past experiences. Maybe you reveal more about your fears, your temptations, the things that are really tempting and hard for you. And you talk more about the boundaries that you might need to form and, and the ways, the boundaries aren't just like, here's the line that will never do that. The, bound, the purpose isn't about the line. The purpose is about the person guarding and protecting the person. Remember honor? It's how do we honor each other? How do we honor God? That's why we draw those boundaries. It's not so that like you can say, I am justified. I am righteous. No, it's so you can actually love another person above yourself. So it starts, uh, for the most part, it's more about communication than it is about physical action. Second, I would say uh, a principle that I encourage you to is get wise counsel. Get wise counsel. Like I figured my boundaries out in isolation through failure. You don't have to do it that way. On Sunday, on Sunday morning, there is a crew of all these super old people who've lived a lot of life, lived a lot of life, made a lot of mistakes in this area too. They've walked into marriage, years of marriage, decades of marriage, and experienced the weight of their failures, not just before, but even during marriage in this area. They got wisdom to share. Find someone you can talk to. Don't wrestle this in isolation. And it's hard when you're like, well, you know, do you think we should do this? I don't know. I kind of want to. So do you. Like, that's, <laughs> you got to talk about it there. Yes, but have someone outside of that situation when you're not all revved up who you can process with and be like, you know, last night, my girl and I, this is what happened. And I'm not sure how I feel about it. What do you think? I don't, I don't know how I feel about it. I, I think I feel, I don't, I, but I feel uneasy about it. I have somebody you can process with who you can get advice from. Next is if you are not communicating about it, you probably shouldn't be doing it. If you're not communicating about it, you probably shouldn't be doing it. If, if your relationship hasn't grown to the point where you can have a very open conversation about your temptations related to kissing or whatever, and like, 
you know, this is actually my past related to this. This is the trauma I have related to this. This is where, how I ended up here. If you haven't told your story about like, this was my first experience and here's where I've gotten to, to the point where you can actually be like, whether it might be here are the boundaries I've laid, or maybe it's that I don't know if I should have boundaries. If, you, if you're not in a place, if the relationship can't handle having a very open and free dialogue about that thing, then you definitely shouldn't be doing it. And I will also call out that the, just because this is true doesn't mean the inverse is true. Just because you're talking about it means you should be doing it. There's a lot of things you might be doing that you shouldn't be talking about. And there might be some things you're talking about that you shouldn't be doing. Okay. <laughs> Great. <laughs> the last thing I'll say is initiate by asking. Initiate by asking. I think we live in this kind of convoluted world where it's like, no, it needs to be romantic. Like it needs to be in the moment. He needs to know when to kiss me. Seriously, ladies, we cannot read minds. We can't. We don't have that ability. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Legit, though, we can't. We cannot. And also, guess what? You can't either. <laughs> you got to actually talk about it. You got to actually talk about it. And actually something that's super honoring is just to ask. It doesn't ruin the moment. It honors the person and the situation. Uh, my wife and I on our first real date, um, we uh, were on up at Big Bear. We're on this bridge, sun setting. We had like a wonderful time. It's wonderful. I'm like, oh, it's the moment. This is it. I'm like leaning on the railing. May I kiss you? No. <laughs> All right. Want to keep walking? No? And you know what? She said no a couple more times before she said yes. And I married that girl. I married that girl. Right? And I can't help but think it's in part because I honored her. And because we built our relationship, we worked. It was a fight and a like discovery of like, how do we do this? But we had past experience. We had these lessons. We had the stool analogy. And we're like, how do we navigate this? How do we navigate this? And that was one thing in particular that I was like, okay, I think I need to just ask and, and communicate about this stuff and not make assumptions or try to guess what she wants. I just need to ask. And man, was that helpful because then it wasn't on that bridge was our first kiss, but she wasn't really ready for that. And now I forced something upon her and that wasn't good. And then it sets a whole tone for our relationship. And I just removed assumptions because they're not good. <laughs> and so ask, ask, even holding hands, ask. It honors and it sets a precedent of I'm here to honor you, not to get what I can get. But I care about you and I want to connect with you in the way that's best for you. So with that in mind, there's um, one other thing uh, that I want to call out, and it's just a, a lie that I've heard many times, and I'm going to keep this really brief. And the lie is this, that I need sexual engagement in order to open up emotionally with another person. This is a lie. I'm going to call it out. You don't need it. You've chosen it. 
And it's not in order to get it, but it's because you don't have it. It's because you don't have it. The truth is that making up for an emotional handicap by exploiting a sexual trigger is still exploitation and it will cause harm. It will cause harm. Don't heap a sexual burden on top of your emotional handicap. Deal with your emotional handicap. Deal with your emotional handicap. All right. Marriage. Point number one, my wife is not an object of sexual pleasure, but she is a person of pleasure. A person of pleasure. The point here, guys, is that, and ladies, uh, just guys, plural. Um, universal, guys, universal, I guess. Uh, <laughs> is that to view my wife this way is like using a telescope to focus in on a satellite and completely miss the stars and galaxies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like to view her as an object of sexual pleasure diminishes her. Uh, you know those little red stir straws that are back? They're probably back there. The little tiny little red stir straws. It's like taking that and putting it in a milkshake and be like, this is going to be great. <laughs> It's just foolish. Like, it's just so, so foolish. And man, I like, it misses out on the potency of all that God has given her. The fullness of what God has given her to truly capture and enliven my heart. And I want that. I want that. And some of you, many of you, I think, are literally making choices on who you should date or pursue or who you want to pursue you based on the only thing about a human that is guaranteed to diminish over time, their physical attractiveness. It's the only thing that's guaranteed to diminish over time. Think about it, guys. Think about it. Is that the best criteria? It's certainly, it can be on the list, but it shouldn't be at the top. I'll tell you that. It shouldn't be even be top five. Widen your lens, survey the whole person, pursue the good, pursue the righteous, not just the sexy. Amen? <laughs> Amen. All right, second thing is communication. And this is true in marriage, that communicate proactively, not reactively about sex and, and all of that stuff. And I am telling you this about marriage because one, I want you to have an idea of what to aim for, but also to recognize that um, whatever practices you instill early on become habits that are easy to keep. And so if it's one of communication, open, clear, loving, then that's an easy habit to keep. But if it's one of shame and, oh, we don't really talk about that, then that's a habit that you form that's easy to keep and we'll carry into marriage, and we'll have to work through undoing. Next is that discovery never ends. Discovery never ends. Curiosity breeds excitement, my friends. Sex, it isn't a skill that you as an individual get good at. It's not. But a process the two of you get good at. A process. You see, becoming one in all realms, including the sexual, is this endless journey of discovery, and there's perpetually more to discover about Amy, about my wife. Perpetually more. It's never going to end. Because as life comes, we experience new things and adapt and perceive and celebrate and mourn and wrestle. And we become and we change. We change. As the years go by, she and I are constantly and will constantly be discovering one another. 
And we're only going to be discovering if we're pursuing, if we're seeking to discover. All of this is woven into this sexual oneness. And so there too, in that realm, we are constantly discovering and finding one another in in a new way as well. Three things about sexuality that I learned about singleness that I want to share with you. One, know what you're aiming for. Aim for the best. Amen. <laughs> Aim for the best. Don't, don't, uh, don't let go of better things for lesser things. Right? Aim for the best. Like I said, even the boundaries that I, that I held in ignorance were good boundaries. Honor everyone. Honor everyone. Whatever you do in singleness, again, the habit thing, right? So honor everyone. Value everyone. Be curious and practice discovering everyone, not just your potential prospects. Everyone. And I'll tell you from experience, as a man who put this into practice, it will earn you a good reputation and may just land you that prospect that you desire, (laughs) Next, I'll say, don't wait to submit yourself to the Lord's sexual ethic. The reward starts today. Like I said, the boundaries I held, I am so thankful for. And the pain and the regret that it has spared me and spared others, I am so, so thankful for. And I'll also say that there are boundaries that um, Amy and I held, didn't hold while dating. Boundaries that we crossed. Now, she's my wife, right? Right? So you'd think that shouldn't matter. You'd think that like, oh yeah, but now whatever boundaries you cross, like those don't matter now. True, but that doesn't mean they didn't matter and that doesn't mean they still don't affect us. And there's actually just a few years ago, there's uh, something going on in our life and our relationship that we're having to navigate. And uh, in prayer, and the Lord just brought to mind these key moments when we were dating and was like, you got to, you got to repent of that. And I asked him for forgiveness and I asked her for forgiveness and we forgave each other and we, and we, uh, there was redemption and, and it played a part. We, we actually felt a release because of that thing that years prior was still, it still had a string, a tug on our hearts that we needed to ask one another for forgiveness and be set free from one another for the way we had wronged each other the way we had not honored one another, valued each other, or honored the Lord. The last thing here, and this is a hot take, guys, um, is uh, that porn use and masturbation are not band-aids for lack of an outlet, but habits of self-centeredness. I made it big on the screen on purpose, like right in the middle. (laughs) Listen, Training oneself into the shallowness and transactional emptiness of a self-centered orgasm, or even if it's just arousal, it robs everyone. Quite literally, guys, like your brain is powerfully mapping those moments and bonding you and bonding you not just to the object or the ideas, but the actual process, whatever that process is. And there's a reason that there are so many commercials for erectile dysfunction. (laughs) And I don't think it's because sexual encounters aren't exciting. 
That's because the pathways to arousal are being paved away from relationship. And that's a travesty, a travesty for everyone. Concrete is hard to demolish. If you've ever had to use a jackhammer or break up concrete, it is hard. It's hard to get rid of. It's so much better to plan well where you are going to pour that road, that pathway, than to have to try and break that path up later on in life to build a new one. Pay attention to what paths you're building. They matter. And at some point, you're either going to have to work real hard to break it up to build a new one, or you'll feel helpless to. The sooner you start, the better. The more concrete you lay, the more you're going to have to deal with. Start doing something about it. Start doing something with it. It's, this is for your benefit, guys. And it, <laughs> to do contrary will to be to your detriment in, in every scenario. I implore you to be on a journey to fight this fight, whether you have a spouse ever or not. Disengage from this. It will benefit you. It will benefit others. And I recognize you're like, okay, so you just told me stop doing that. But I also want to make sure you know, I'm not going to leave you to do it on your own. I don't, you don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to wrestle this on your own. Well, there's ways to help. I want to help. Uh, we as a church are here to help and there's others around here to help. I mean, as, even just, we have ministries, communities that meet where, where this community of people come together who are wrestling and navigating this stuff and many who have lived the destruction of it. And it's too late in their life to, to keep that at bay. It's exploded upon their life. And now they're trying to pick up the pieces while trying to turn a new leaf and build a new path because they're like, I cannot go back on that path. It ruined my life. People who love the Lord and have seen victory, who have experienced redemption from this, transformation from it, people who now walk in joy and freedom, who felt trapped, People who are full of joy and just want to be like right there with you because they know where you've been or where you might be. And they're like, I want to help. I'm there with you. They'll walk it with you. There's also, there's things like uh, Celebrate Recovery at Rocky Peak Church, an amazing community of people who are navigating this, who I've heard so many stories of people who have found deliverance, who have found freedom, who found rescue, they found comfort, encouragement. Don't give up. Don't give up. Band, if you want to make your way up. Um, my last point on all of this is simple. And it's that your story isn't finished yet. Your story isn't finished yet. I don't know where you've been. You've heard some of my story, an overview at least, a flyover. I'm not perfect. And I don't know what trauma might be in your life related to this. I don't know if, if uh, the past experiences and relationships and partners that you've had, I don't know if maybe even you're sitting here right now and you're like, look, cool, cool ideas, Brian, but like, uh, we're good. Keep it, keep it to yourself. 
whatever that, even if that's you, I just want to say, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> I am. I'm really glad you're here and you're welcome here. The, my hope in my heart isn't to force something upon you, but, but to offer something to you that I've learned through trial. I just want good for you. I'm not going to force it upon you. I'm not going to make you take it or be overbearing and mad. It's yours to take whether you want to take it or not. I hope you will consider it at least. And if this is a part of your story, uh, in however way it is, all the different ways it could be of uh, failure in this area in your story, and you see it as failure, and you're just like, ah, I just want you to know he's not done yet. There's a song that I've heard on the radio a couple of times that's like, if you're still alive, or if, you, if I'm not dead, then you're not done. And the truth is, for all of you in this room, like, you got a lot of time left. <laughs> I'm 39 and there's things I'm still learning, things I'm still discovering. He never gave up on me, even when I thought he should have. Even when I thought others had, even when I gave up on myself, he didn't. He hasn't given up on you either. There's a verse that I love so much and I just want to read it over all of us. It's Psalm 32 verse 5. It goes like this. I acknowledged my sin to you. That's to God. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Selah means pause. It means take a breath. I want you to pause to take in this short testimony. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Let it sink in. He died for you. He gave his whole life that you might be free from this. He's not mad. He just wants better for you. He hasn't turned his back. He's reaching out his hand. Slow enough. Pause enough to ask and receive. If you want help in any way related to this, if you just want to talk more, one, there's the Q, Q in the R box. Put some questions in there. Also, you can put your phone number down and just say, uh, I need help. You can put it on the prayer wall, whatever it might be, and, and myself or Sarah will reach out to you. We want to help. You don't have to walk this alone. He loves you. He loves you. Let's lift our hearts in praise to the one who has given so much so that we might be with him.